This is When We Understand the Text, a daily study in the Word of Christ, for the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth, which accords with godliness. Find all our videos and other ministry resources at www.utt.com. Here once again is Pastor Gabe. Thank you, Becky. Well, we are recording here at the campus of Grace Community Church in the middle of the Shepherds Conference 2022. Literally in the middle of it because it's uh, we're, we're in the book tent, for one. And secondly, because this is the second of three days. So we're in the middle of ShepCon. And I am joined by a couple of guys from the Truth Be Known podcast. This is Eki Tepsipornkai. Tepsipornchai. Tepsipornchai. <laughs> not, not, yeah, right. Not yeah, Tepsipornchai. So that last syllable, it's like chai tea, spelt and, and pronounced the same way. And by the way, as I was telling you, Gabe, the best thing I like about uh, about you is your wife's name. It rhymes with mine. So Becky and Eki. And I often say my name Eki is like Becky without the B. <laughs> Easy way to remember the first name because I can't ever remember to get the last name. So, And then the other half of the Truth Be Known podcast is Nathaniel Jolly. Yeah, that's right. It's good to be here with you again. <laughs> There's no confusion about that last There's name. There's no confusion about that last name, and, and Nathaniel doesn't at all rhyme with Becky. So that, That's right, yeah. But you live up to Jolly. Whether I want to or not. <laughs> that's right. Uh, now, tell me a little bit about uh, your respective churches. You're both pastors, and in totally different parts of the country, yet you have teamed up together for this great podcast that you do. Eki, we'll start with you. Tell us where you pastor, a little bit about your church. Yeah, so I'm in Brawley, California. That's in the southern tip of California, just 30 miles north of the border of Mexico. And it's a small farming community, uh, Western Avenue Baptist Church. Been there for a couple, about two and a half years. And uh, lovely people there, a very welcoming community. And they're really embracing the Word of God and the teaching of the Word of God. Uh, we're starting to establish uh, more and more emphasis upon biblical counseling, um, been doing fundamentals of the faith and all that. So a really sweet community in the middle of the desert, really. Um, but uh, yeah, Western Avenue Baptist Church in Brawley, California. If you're ever going between San Diego and Phoenix, you're going to pass through an area called El Centro, and we're just uh, just north of there. And then Nathaniel is from way up in the frigid north. He's the bear hunter from Alaska. <laughs> now, how did you end up, because you're not from Alaska originally. Yeah, that's right. How'd you end up in Alaska and pastoring a church there? Yeah, thanks for that, Gabe. Um, <laughs> the short story is uh, COVID put a kibosh on our man-made plans to go elsewhere overseas. And so we landed in Alaska, planning a church in the great frontier in, in the middle of COVID, which has been exciting, to say the least. Um, but yeah, so we're uh, a small uh, a church plant. Uh, if you go to Anchorage and you fly about five hours south just before you fall into the ocean, uh, we're right in front of the glaciers on the Kenai Peninsula. Now, I wasn't kidding about calling you a bear hunter because you really hunt bears, right? I've seen the spear. You want to hunt a bear with a spear. Yeah, that's right. Uh, not just hunt, kill the bear. One of us is going to die. <laughs> yeah, that's right. the bear. <laughs> yeah, yeah. If you're going to come out of that experience alive, <laughs> the bear has to die. I get that. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, do you do much hunting? I guess you really can't live in Alaska without hunting and fishing, right? Yeah, I think if you're not a hunter or fisher when you, before you get there, you become that when you get there, which is my case. Gotcha. Now, what is, what is ministry like in Alaska? Because I've lived in, I haven't lived in very urban areas, but there's still enough of a place where you can go out and, and kind of find a central hub of where people go and share the gospel. 
can you do that in a place that's as sparsely populated in Alaska? How do you get out with the gospel? Yeah, it, it is very different. Um, in a lot of ways, although we're in the U.S., we, we kind of get treated like another country. Uh, in fact, if you look at any map of the U.S., normally we're not on it. Thanks. Um, but yeah, we're very spread out. And so, uh, and it's a very dark place spiritually. We have a lot of genuine, unreached, closed off uh, people groups um, with, with, the, with the natives and such. And so, yeah, we're still learning how to get creative in that process. People are very spread out. Um, you don't go door to door, that's that's for sure, uh, and especially not in the winter. Uh, but but it's a good place, and it, it needs churches, so that's why we're there. Praise God for that. I mean, somebody has to be <laughs> where the people are, whether it's in the isolated, frigid north or even in a desert someplace. So praise God for getting the gospel out there. So we are here at the Shepherds Conference. I've met Nathaniel a couple of times, and I met Eki at G3, I That's guess. That's right, G3's uh, first time, yeah. October would have been the first time. So give me give me kind of some highlights. The, the theme of ShepCon this year has been unashamed. The... Um, illustration that's on all of the literature is Peter being crucified upside down. We understand the persecution that many pastors have been under, especially during this COVID season. Uh, we've heard stories about how James Coates was supposed yeah, to be here and could not get here because his passport was flagged thanks to certain government mandates. He was not able to get out of Canada and be able to come here to the U.S. and enjoy ShepCon. So already that story is kind of hanging over um, uh, even this uh, this understanding of being unashamed for the gospel. So that, that, that testimony is even here. And then we know what Grace Community Church went through, where the state of California was coming up against Grace Community Church. So in light of all of that, just re- reflecting on the speakers that we've heard so far, we still have H.B. Charles this evening. At the time that we're recording this, H.B. Charles hadn't spoken yet. Then we have the Friday schedule. Vody's going to speak again on Friday morning. Mm. We've already heard Vody once, Wednesday night. Set the place on fire. Yeah, lit this place up. Uh, we have heard from uh, uh, John MacArthur, who gave the, the opening presentation. We've heard from Abner Chow. Uh, we've heard from Paul Twist. Yep. Uh, Phil, Johnson. Phil Johnson. So give me some highlights so far. What's, what's really stuck out for you? We'll start with Eki, and then we'll go to Nathaniel. What stuck out for you about what we've heard in the sermons, what we've heard from the Word of God thus far? Yeah, I think the theme of unashamed has been well well stated. I mean, Romans chapter 1, verses 16 through 17, and that's actually where Vody Bauckham was preaching from. But I think the centrality of the gospel being reemphasized, and it sounds like such a simple concept. It sounds too simple for a conference, and, and yet the temptation of most people is to stray away from that and to start going into cultural storylines, into narratives, into what has been deemed uh, social justice. And I know a lot of people out there, they're going to hear this and they're going to say, oh God, there, there we go again. These guys are hammering on CRT and social justice and whatnot. But the fact of the matter is the gospel today is not truly the gospel that we find in Scripture. And when I say the gospel today, there's a lot of confusion between what is truly the gospel message versus what are implications of the gospel. And social justice, or how the gospel plays out in terms of justice in our society, is an implication of the gospel, but it's not the message that saves itself. And we as ministers of the Lord Jesus Christ are to be proclaimers of the gospel. We are to proclaim the the kingdom of God, the work that Jesus Christ accomplished on the cross. And and that has been reemphasized in a very, very great way. Vody Bauckham last night just set the place on fire 
helping it open up with a great illustration that essentially talked about how the fact that we start to love junk food more than things that are actually good for us. And that's what's happening with the gospel. It's getting watered down. It's getting cheapened into something that people start to become addicted to rather than longing for the pure milk of the real gospel itself. And so that, to me, has been the um, the, the great first impression of all this. And it's a very much a, a needed message in our day and time, because if we're going to preserve the gospel that saves, we have to go back to what the Bible says actually saves people. And it has never changed. The Bible, the great thing about the Bible is that it has always been perfect. It comes from a perfect God, and it has stood the test of time, and it will never need to change in order to bring forth the true gospel. Amen. And of course, the passage that Fodia preached from last night that you mentioned, Romans 1, 16 to 17, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to all who believe, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Uh, and, you know, what was interesting about all that is is uh, hearing Vodi preach some of the things that he shared uh, from his own personal testimony, as well as confronting the false theologies that we have coming at us in this world. Uh, things like, you know, as you said, the implications of the gospel versus the actual gospel. What we're hearing from social justice, what we're hearing in critical race theory, um, some of it's just straight up false. Most of it's straight up false. But then there's other things that are implications of the gospel. Caring for the poor, uh, uh, equality, not discriminating against anybody, especially over something as silly as the color of our skin. Um, these are things, this is love that should be demonstrated as a result of the gospel, but they are not themselves the gospel. The gospel of Jesus Christ is that he died on the cross for our sins, rose again from the dead, ascended into heaven where he is seated at the right hand of God, interceding for us on our behalf. He's going to return again to judge the living and the dead. And all who believe in him will not perish. Our sins are forgiven. We have everlasting life, fellowship with God even now. And you know, when, when Vody was talking about it, it, gospel came up a lot in his sermon. That word itself was used a lot in his sermon. And there was a point where uh, that, that I'm listening to him do this. Vody's one of my all-time favorite preachers. I love Vody Bakum. And I'm listening to him do this, and I'm going, you know, Vody, this is great. And if you were to just sit down now, this still would be yeah. a, a fantastic sermon. But I still really wish you would actually say what the gospel is. Yeah. So you're using the word, but it's implied, and yeah. you're not actually saying what it is. And then at the end, <laughs> he just it lit it up. Just uh, uh, one of the most fiery presentations of the gospel and I, I I'm sitting there going see that'll learn me you know <laughs> how dare I doubt Vody Bauckham he was definitely going to light this place up uh, but one of the one of the illustrations that he gave at the very beginning and came back to it again at the end was uh, was the boy with the strawberry slushie right you got a father who feeds his son strawberry slushies and it has no strawberries in it whatsoever it's just artificial flavor and he loves the sweetness of the slushy. And one day they're walking through a strawberry patch and the boy picks a strawberry and he eats it and he doesn't like it because it doesn't taste like the fake strawberry slushy that he was getting. And at the end, Vody came back to that again and said, you need to take what's fake away from him and give him what's real until the strawberry is sweet. And, uh, and, and, then, and then he goes, and in case you didn't understand the connection, and then tied it right back into the gospel. So staying away from all these false teachings, all the philosophies of this world that lead astray. Paul talked about that in Colossians 2. Don't be led astray by these, by these convincing teachings. They might sound right. You know, it might say, I heard something in the Bible about caring for the poor. So maybe that is the gospel. Uh, don't 
go after these false philosophies, but continue in the true power of the gospel of Jesus Christ, because it is only by faith in that that we are forgiven our sins and have everlasting life. Amen. Yeah, I mean, you, you really just hit the nail on the head. And I think for me, the supremacy of, of the gospel has really been at the forefront of the conference. And it, it makes sense. And I love Vody's illustration because we do see that. We, we basically have a diet in the Western world of sugar and no meat. Right, everyone's just just fed sugar, and and it and it does what sugar would do to a real person, right? It gives you diabetes, it makes you sick, and it kills you yeah. eventually if you overconsume, uh, and that's what we have. And and I think we hear the term gospel so much, uh, but when you see what is being taught as the gospel, you know, we already mentioned the critical theory, critical race theory, just all this stuff. Basically, change your community, that's the gospel, right? Hug your neighbor, that's the gospel. Tell them that uh, their sins aren't really their problem, that's the gospel. All, all the forms of these things, but none of those are the gospel, and people aren't getting saved. Yeah. And so you can change a community by doing good things in the community, but when they die, they still go to hell because they don't have the gospel. And there's only one gospel. Um, and, and it's not just a one-time thing. We, we, and, and I think Vody uh, mentioned this in, in his talk. It's not that we just needed the gospel once. No, we, we still need the gospel. It changed us, and it, and it is changing us, right, in our sanctification yeah. process. Yeah. And, and so we never graduate from the gospel, and I think he made that, uh, that point in his sermon as well. Or it might have been Phil Johnson or someone else, but it's been made, right? But but we see that. I mean, uh, just imagine if you were to change the language a little bit and, and say something like, well, I only need Jesus to save me and then I'm good on my own. Well, no Christian would ever say that, but we kind of are saying that, right? We're, we're, we're hearing that a lot. Um, and so absolutely the supremacy of the gospel. And I, I loved his illustration. And I know if you have kids, uh, or if you've been around kids, or if you've done any kind of work with kids, um, it, it, you would, if you hate them, you would just constantly feed them the slushy, right? And never give them a real, a real diet, real food. It, it was such a wonderful illustration. And he really did hammer the point, right? And, and it wasn't just in that illustration he gave that you give them a few strawberries. It was, no, you take the junk food totally away and you only give them the real thing over and over and over and over until one day they eat the strawberry and they say, this is really good. Right. This is really sweet. Right. And the scriptures tell us, taste and see that the Lord is good. Yeah. So that, that, it's such a perfect illustration in that way. We have, uh, a, we have the best diet, the best spiritual diet that we can have, which is Christ Jesus. And we need more of Christ every day. Yeah. Once you have Christ, continue in Christ. Continue to, to feed upon Christ. As he said in uh, John chapter 6, yeah. that we must feed on him in order to see the kingdom of God. So let's switch from that. Let's go from that to uh, a sermon that Paul Twist did out of Luke chapter 24, where he came up with a seven-point sermon out of four verses. <laughs> At the end of the day, no less. Yeah, that was like the, the <laughs> right. We're just about to go out and eat supper, and, and we're going to listen to a seven-point sermon from Paul Twist. So it was Luke 24, verses 50 to 53, and he led them out as far as Bethany, Christ leading his disciples out as far as Bethany, and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. While he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. 
And they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple blessing God. Eki, I wanna come back to you again. What about this passage is teaching us to be unashamed? Yeah, this is reminding us of the reality of the fact that Jesus Christ is exalted. He's at the right hand of God. And we don't dwell upon this enough. In fact, we often think about the fact that Jesus allowed us to be forgiven of our sins. We have salvation and that's it. And then we don't think much further beyond that. And of course, Easter is coming up, the Resurrection Sunday. That's a reminder that he was resurrected as a promise to us that we too will be resurrected when Jesus Christ returns. But he goes even beyond that because he's not simply just resurrected, but he is also exalted at the right hand of God. And I think Paul Twist made a great point that I had never stopped and thought about is the fact that while Jesus was blessing him at that point, he was he was brought up into heaven. He, he was ascended up into heaven. And that is to remind them that Jesus Christ is returning. And, and you know, this all ties back into what we've been talking about, the, the, the primacy of the gospel and making sure we've got the true gospel. Because if you have the true gospel, your hope is not in this world. Your, your hope is upon the return of Jesus Christ and what happens after he returns. That is where our hope is. And a lot of these false gospels, and especially the social justice gospels, often prioritize what's happening temporally over what's going to happen eternally. Yeah. Um, they're putting their hope into heaven here on earth rather than heaven after Jesus Christ returns. And so the ascension theology, and this is something that I'm going to have to spend more time really dwelling upon because I'd never thought about it this way, but the ascension uh, the theology is that he ascended up in heaven. He's at the right hand of God. And we know at the end of the book of Matthew, he says, all authority has been given to me in earth and in heaven, right? Um, so he's up at the right hand of God. He's a co-ruler, but he ascended also to become our priest. I mean, yeah. he's essentially our pastor. He's right. interceding for us regularly. And, and this is so crucial because when we live out our Christian life, you know, we can get caught up in the legalism of the do's and the don'ts, or we just start creating checklists of what we should do and what we shouldn't do. And if that's all we're focusing on, then that indeed becomes legalism. But if we focus first and foremost upon the glory of the gospel itself, and this is, again, once again, why Nathaniel just mentioned um, what was said, that we don't just, we didn't just need the gospel at one point in the future. We continually need the gospel. We need to continue to remind ourselves of the gospel, because when we remind ourselves of the gospel and things like the fact that he is ascended, that he is interceding for us, he is at the right hand, he is providing us with his power and his will and his guidance and all that kinds of stuff, that, that should give us the motivation. That, that should give us the extra spiritual fuel that we need to be able to endure the difficult times in this in this life, the trials and the, the tribulations. That's going to help us get through. And then from that point, obeying the commandments of Jesus Christ is really a consequence of that. It's it's the it's the logical next step. It's similar to what Paul said in Ephesians chapter 4. Um, Therefore, I implore you to uh, walk worthy, worthy of the calling by which you have been called. And that's after the first three chapters of sharing the glory of God, the theology of all that God has done for us. So, yeah, the ascension helps us to focus once again on, on the primacy of the gospel and not being ashamed of the gospel because the gospel itself, once again, the purity of that gospel is what gives us hope in the future. And this is not, let me just add this too, this is not just merely an academic debate. We're not merely just splitting hairs. Uh, Vodi Bauckham, and, and just to tie it back into Vodi again, he, he gave the example of Ibram Kendi. Ibram Kendi is the best-selling author of the book, How to Be an Anti-Racist, that's being used in churches all over the world. And if you listen to what Ibram Kendi thinks the gospel is, 
it's not the true gospel. It's focused on physical deliverance, yeah. and it rejects Jesus Christ as an actual Savior. In fact, I think he calls it white Savior theology right. or something like that. So when you look at Ibram Kendi, and you might think he's just a one-off, but now Jamar Tisby is working with him, yeah. right? And Jamar Tisby is one of the leaders of kind of this woke church movement, him right. and him and uh, Eric Mason. Um, so th this is not just um, far away. And, and not only that, but James Cone. James Cone and Black Liberation Theology, which came out of the 60s, a, a lot of people are referring back to James Cone. And James Cone, again, would overemphasize the Exodus account as really being what salvation is all about, which is physical deliverance from oppression in this world, not that we needed forgiveness of our sins and, and a future promise that Jesus Christ would come and, uh, and bring us to heaven with him. Um, so Ascension theology, Paul Twist, just another aspect of the glorious gospel that we need to spend more time really meditating upon, preaching upon, encouraging people with, so that people have the proper motivation to do what the Word of God calls us to do. Yeah. When, when you've got pastors out there that are making some of the things that you just talked about into the gospel, like they're making reconciliation the gospel, or they're making uh, caring for the poor into the gospel, or they're making the... Uh, you know, looking at the disparities and seeing injustice because uh, because somebody's being treated unequally or something like that. When they make that into the gospel, that's actually being ashamed of the gospel. Yes. It's saying the true gospel of Christ is not enough to save us. We have to have an environment that is, that makes us more easy to save. Right? Like, let's change the environment. If we change the environment, we can change the man. Which, incidentally, this was something that Martin Lloyd Jones confronted all those number of years ago yeah. that the great Lloyd Jones is preaching. And uh, and he said that it is a tragic fallacy to believe that in order to change the man, all you have to do is change his environment. What makes that such a tragic fallacy is because it was in paradise that man fell. Mm, yes. We lived in perfect paradise, which we will never make this world into. Uh, Adam and Eve living in paradise, and yet all that they had, even the very presence of God himself, and it wasn't enough, and they had to they had to have that one thing God said that they weren't to have. Even obeying God's law wasn't enough for them. They still had to have that one thing. So we, we see these false uh, uh, doctrines come in that, get re that, that try to replace the gospel. The gospel isn't good enough. It has to be these other things. And when you start putting all the focus on that, you're actually ashamed of the gospel, that the gospel is not enough to save. We have to be saved by other means. Uh, bringing that back to uh, the the scripture that Paul Twisted preached from, from Luke chapter 24. So, Eki, you had mentioned that, you know, understanding the ascension of Christ, that he's at the Father's right hand, that he's interceding for us even now. He's, he's our priest. And you had pointed out, verse 51, while he blessed them, Jesus, while he was blessing the disciples, while he was doing that, he parted from them. And was carried up into heaven. So we see that was yeah. You you said that Paul Twist kind of brought that out, and I hadn't noticed that before. It's it's like he's he's praying upon them, he's giving them a blessing, and he's being lifted up out of their midst while he's still blessing them, and he's continuing to do that as he's seated at the right hand of the Father. Yeah, you know, as I consider that verse, I it, there are a few things that really struck me that I think I haven't really given a lot of attention to. I mean, first you have his disciples watching him being ascended, right? 
And, and it, the verse in 52 says that, and they, after worshiping him, so they're worshiping him as he's ascending. And I think there's, there's a reality in which where we hear the true gospel for the first time and, we, and, and the Lord saves us. We were worshiping him and we're excited. But it, here's something that struck me after in the next verse in 53. It says, and then they were continually in the temple praising God. Yeah. And, and I think one of, it, we're talking about these false gospels, one of the things that you never see is a continuation of praising God. It is always a man-centered, legalistic work. You mentioned yeah. uh, kind of the reparation type, the reconciliation type thing, reparations, right? You, you, it's never, we're never really reconciled under these false gospels. And so, um, you know, if you're a certain skin color, you always have to pay the person that's a different skin color. Yeah. And, and there's no worship in God. It, it's a pure legalism, right? right? But when we think about, if we think about Paul Twist's uh, talk, and why the ascension matters, which by the way, I, I mean, I think I've only ever in my life preached one sermon on the ascension. Um, and, and so maybe we need to start focusing on that a bit more. I mean, he mentions yeah. that, right? But it's a good point. Um, because when you start considering the fact that the, the, very, the very Lord who saved us, who came, who suffered, who died on the cross, um, who, who saved us is now still in a very active role. Yeah. Um, I mean, he's he's interceding for us right now. I mean, as we're doing this this podcast, he's interceding for us. And in the verse here, it says that after they witnessed, you know, after they witnessed his ascension, he's gone. They continually were praising him. And so you still see a focus on the gospel, on the person and work of Christ. And so if there's anything out there that doesn't continually demand a focus on the person and work of Christ himself, it's probably because it's a false gospel. Let me stay on that for a moment, not to assume anything. So just like with last night with Vody, don't just assume the gospel, put it out there. So we're talking about intercession, Christ interceding for us before the Father. What does that mean? We're using the term, we're saying it, but what does it mean that Christ is interceding for us? Eki? Well, yeah, and let, let me add to that when we talk about Ascension Theology, because it's going to tie into the question you're asking. This is not just a hobby horse that we're creating just because Paul Twist mentioned it. The most quoted Old Testament verse in all the New Testament is Psalm 110, verse 1. Yeah. Um, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make it your enemies a footstool for your feet. And it's in verse 4 where it says the Lord has sworn and will not change his mind that you are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. That's a, that's a significant, significant promise. And so to say that he is interceding for us, first we recognize that Satan is an accuser of the brethren. Uh, Revelation says that. He is an accuser of the brethren. He's accusing us day and night. And part of the security of our salvation is not just merely the perfect work of Jesus Christ on the cross, so that's certainly important, but it's also his ongoing ministry as our great high priest, interceding every time Satan brings those accusations. But also in interceding, we see the work, for instance, in the Apostle Paul, right? I mean, Jesus Christ intercedes for Paul, blinds him on the road to Damascus, right? Jesus Christ gives us guidance, wisdom, uh, through his word. Uh, Colossians 3.16 says, let the word of Christ dwell richly within you. 
Um, so he's interceding for us, and he's working also through his Holy Spirit. That's part of John chapters 14, 15, and 16, where Jesus is about to go away, but he's preparing them for the Great Commission. And one of his emphases through those three chapters is that I'm going to send you a helper. He's going to help you. He's going to bring to mind everything that I've taught you, and he's going to give you more. He's going to take a mind of what belongs to me, and he's going to give it to you so that you may be encouraged, so that you may be able to uh, proclaim the truth and to be witnesses. So the power that we have, we know that we've been given the Holy Spirit, uh, but we've also been given the guidance of Jesus Christ, who's interceding for us, providing guidance as our intercessor, as, as our, just as we as pastors should be praying for our flock. Jesus Christ is constantly praying for us, protecting us from Satan, but also guiding us to do God's will. Yeah, and I think, you know, just to add to that, we talk about um, Christ interceding for us. And I think back to one of the questions that so many people always have, what's the will of God for me, right? And this this ties into Christ interceding for us. Well, I, the Bible explicitly tells us, it actually uses the terms, this is the will of God for you, yes. that you be sanctified, right? right? Uh, you go to First Peter, be holy as he is holy. And, and it is because of the ascended Christ that, and, and the gift of the Holy Spirit in us that we have the power to, to, to be holy, to live out holy lives. And as we're obedient to Christ, we're being sanctified and, and we have Christ interceding for us um, and, and power in the Holy Spirit because of that. So it's actually quite a big deal, right, to say it that way that Christ is ascended and that he's interceding for us at the right hand of the Father. And so, like you said, it's not just an, an academic, um, you know, an, an academic exercise to talk about these things. I, I mean, that should change your life. Um, you know, we, we love it when people pray for us, but do you know if, if Jesus Christ is praying for you, those prayers will be answered, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, the verse you mentioned was 1 Thessalonians 4.3. This is the will of God, your sanctification. And then we have it come up again later on in 5, uh, let's see, I think it's 18. Uh, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. So yeah, God's will for us is that we would be sanctified, we're growing in holiness, that we would rejoice in all circumstances, which by the way, when we're talking, we were talking a moment ago about the uh, the social gospel or racial reconciliation or that this group of people owes me my my difficult circumstances somebody else's fault what you'll never hear in those sermons is uh, James 1 2 count it all joy my brothers when you meet trials of various kinds for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness and let your steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete lacking in nothing even in the difficulties and the trials that we go through, Christ is working in those things to sanctify us, to make us more holy, to draw us to himself. And all of that is part of that work of intercession that he is doing for us before the Father. I mean, it's, it's very wild to think about. My name is being mentioned by my Savior before the Father in heaven. Amazing. Yeah. yeah. Praise first the Lord. Peter, first Peter 1 6. Yeah. I, I was just also thinking of First Peter 1 6. And this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials, so that the proof of your faith, being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in the praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So he makes that comparison to precious metals. And anyone who's worked with metals knows that you put it under extreme heat and the impurities rise to the top. And so Peter is making that. 
that illustration to show that trials are an act of God in order to make us more pure in our faith so that we would, we, the end of all this would result in the praise and glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Just as Romans 8, 28 and 29 says, all things come together uh, for good for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. But then verse 29 says, you've been predestined to be conformed into the image of his son. And that comes as a result of trials. And when you think about just how how much that's been twisted today where we cry about injustices and, and we make people out to be victims. And I'm not saying that there aren't real victims in the world. There are. But there is always victory in Christ no matter how you've been victimized. But that part has been lost. And really the victim, the, the victimization part often gets emphasized. Yeah, you know, I, I just, Paul is such a great example of someone who filters everything that happens in his life through the gospel. Um, it, you know, I w- went to 2 Corinthians where he talks about some of his difficulties, right? And and I think... It, a few. It, 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 j- yeah. Just a few, right? <laughs> I, I mean, he said uh, five times he received 39 lashes. We could just stop right there, right? right? I mean, we're done. That's, that's um, it, this, I'll never have to go through that. This must not be God, you know, all that kind of thing. Three times he was beaten with rods. He was shipwrecked. He was hungry. He was cold. All those things. And yet... He, he never complained. Um, his eyes were always on the need to present the real gospel because that is what saves people. And, and so in some sense, his earthly circumstances, were, they, they were just low on the totem pole, right? Those were not his primary concerns. That's how important the gospel was to him. It, it was important enough that he gets to the end of his life in Second Timothy, right? Which I like to refer to as sort of his last will and testament. He's about to get his head cut off. And, and listen to, you know, just read what he writes, Timothy. It's all gospel-centered. Guard your doctrine. Teach sound doctrine. Raise up men to teach sound doctrine because the gospel really matters. And that's a good transition point to go into Phil Johnson's sermon. So we're talking about raise up men who love the gospel, who are not ashamed of the gospel, who are preaching the gospel. Phil Johnson preaches from Joshua 1.6. Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give to them. Only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. And of course, we have that command again in verse 9. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. As many false doctrines as we get bombarded with in this world and as much as the world tries to shame us out of the true gospel to teach what they want us to teach instead of what God says to teach, we need to be strong men of God holding fast to the gospel and preaching nothing less than the, than the pure word that was given to us from the very beginning. Yeah, I do love this passage. Um, when you think about Joshua, and this is where Old Test understanding an Old Testament history and context is so helpful, because Joshua was faithful. He doesn't have a history of disobeying God. It's not like he's being rebuked by God or he's having to be re- corrected by God. In fact, you you could make the argument that he's the only one that you can't find anything that he has done wrong up until this point, right? So he didn't participate in the Golden Calf incident. Um, he believed God's promises when they went into the Promised Land. Uh, he, he's 
chosen as really Moses' successor for that reason, that he's been faithful. And in Joshua chapter 1, this is the first time that God is addressing him. And you would think with that kind of track record, God would just say to Joshua, you know what, just keep doing what you're doing, you'll be fine. Uh, that's certainly what I would probably do. But no, he emphasizes to him over and over again, be strong and courageous. And I love what you just read, because in verse 7, only be strong and very courageous, be careful to do according to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you. Be careful. Okay, this is not just run out there and, and know that you're you're in good hands. You know, you, you can just do whatever you want as long as your heart is in the right place. No, this is being careful. It, it means that there are very specific instructions that you must watch over. And this really gets into biblical manhood. Um, so I, I think the world has twisted what manhood is to be something that is nothing biblical at all. But biblical manhood is knowing the Word of God and being careful to do the Word of God. And it says to be careful, but it gives us the, both the purpose and the result. said, be careful to do according to all the law um, that, my, that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Verse 8, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate it on a day and night so that, and those who study the Bible, whenever you see the word so that, those are key words that's going to give you either the purpose or the result, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it, for then you will make your way prosperous, then you will have success. And that is talking about not material wealth and prosperity, but that is success in doing what God has called us to do. And so we need to raise up men that are devoted to the Word of God. They understand the Word of God. They are careful to keep the Word of God. And this goes back to the Great Commission too, right? You know, oftentimes when we think about the Great Commission, Jesus Christ says, go and make disciples of all the nations. What people automatically think of is evangelism. Oh, go out and evangelize. Yeah. You know, big tent revivals, preach the gospel, <laughs> and then be done with it, right? Yeah. But that's not what Jesus says. Indeed, the first part baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That does imply evangelism and, and converting people. But the second part is teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Not some, not most, but teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. So Jesus is with us through the presence of the Holy Spirit, once again going back to his intercession ministry, um, but raising up men that know the Word of God and hold to the Word of God and are careful to do all that's written according to it. And you mentioned 2 Timothy, Nathaniel, 2 Timothy 2.15, right? We want to present ourselves approved before God as accurate as people who accurately divide the, the Word of truth, right? And so that implies that there is real meaning that is meant to be discerned, understood, followed, and applied. And as we're talking about that kind of discipleship, that's not just an evangelistic ministry, as you mentioned, or like going out on the highways and byways. That's in your home. So even as we're talking about raising up men of God, ladies, this applies to you as well, because you're raising sons in your home. Yes. Raise those sons up to be men of God. And don't be ashamed of the masculine qualities that are given to us in scripture that men are supposed to emulate. Be strong and courageous. So as Phil Johnson was preaching on this, he says real manliness starts with Christ-like strength and courage, which is crowned by all the character of Christ. Now, Phil pointed to the fruit of the spirit, which we have in Galatians chapter five, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. These things are Christ-like qualities and to be a uh, to be a man of Christ means you're going you're gonna to imitate those qualities. But at the same time, Johnson went on to say, true manliness is also embodied by the righteous anger of Christ who entered the temple with a whip to drive out the godless. And sometimes that man of God is going to have to do that. Uh, I remember the quote from John Calvin who said that 
that a, a preacher needs to have two voices. He has a voice to call the sheep and a voice to fend off the wolves. And that is the kind of men that we need, not just in our pulpits. Of course, that's what we're talking about here at ShepCon. But those kinds of men need to be in the home. That We need those kinds of fathers who are raising up their sons and daughters, even leading their wives, uh, uh, laying down their life for their spouse as Christ has done for the church. So being strong and courageous, I, I, you know, I love the thing that Johnson said, today's evangelicalism is not saying be strong and courageous. They're saying be delicate and nuanced. This is an exact quote from Johnson. Strength and courage have been replaced by sensitivity and victimhood as the virtues valued by our culture. How do we know exactly what virtues we are to imitate and we are to show as godly men and even women? And that's only going to be according to the scriptures, only what the Bible tells us. Yeah, I, you know, listening to Phil Johnson, I'm, I'm reminded of the book of Jude, right? Uh, the book of Jude is just often a left out little book. You know, it's it's that little one page book right before the book of Revelation. And, and, I, and I love it because this is something that men just don't do anymore, right? And, and, the, and the introduction to the letter is interesting because, so this is the half-brother of Jesus, right? He says, Beloved, while I was making every effort to write to you about our common salvation, I felt the necessity to write to you appealing that you contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all handed down to the saints. Uh, we, we live in a society where um, we, it, it, men are just not allowed to contend. And, and certainly, uh, we can't call out false doctrines. You can't, you know, that's just not, um, I, I guess to put it in SBC terms, the, under the 11th <laughs> commandment, thou shalt be nice. Um, but, but this is, uh, biblical manhood does this, right? Um, strong men stand up and they recognize that while we want to just always, I mean, we, we, you know, we get together, we love to talk about just things that are common to the faith. But there's another part of being disciples, being men, and that's, there are times where we have to ward off the wolves. We have to contend. And then the entire rest of the book of Jude, uh, which I spent four months preaching through. Um, wow, that's <laughs> I, I, longer than I, I, I did. I did. I pulled a Martin Lloyd-Jones. Um, but but he, I mean, he he un, he leaves no stone unturned, right? And and it's interesting because I think we see this in our day. He he then goes on to say that uh, they have to contend because there are certain persons who have crept in unnoticed, yeah. right? And 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 that's exactly what we're seeing today, right? And, and so when Phil Johnson, when Vody Bauckham, when these guys are calling out these false gospels, it's not because we're trying to be contentious. It's actually because we love the real gospel. Yeah. And and if we're going to do that, we have to protect the sheep. And so we, we fight the wolves. But that's part of biblical manhood. To to not do that is to do the very opposite of, of this conference. It's to be ashamed of the gospel. Yeah. You heard that from the bear hunter himself, <laughs> by the way. <laughs> if there's anybody here that's going to tell us about manliness, Nathaniel's going to be able to do it. So Phil Johnson had, uh, had also said, muscular strength and manly courage are masculine virtues and not inherently toxic, which is, of course, the word that gets thrown at manliness, at, at being manly. Our culture is going to say, well, those things are toxic, toxic manhood or toxic masculinity, um, which what they, what they really want to do is raise up girly men. That's what the culture wants to do. To the point that we even have 
a man who claims to be a woman beating all these women in swimming. Uh, which is really giving truth to the fact that that there are differences between men and women, <laughs> uh, but nobody wants to acknowledge that. Even the even the people that are opposed to uh, the fact that there's a man that is beating women in women's sports, they they want to say it's not fair, but they continue to use his preferred pronouns when they refer to him, which just I, you can't win the argument that way. You're going to continue to pander to this. That's what the culture wants you to do, to continue to pander to the culture. But but Phil says that Jesus is the epitome of manly strength and courage. He is the model of what we are to achieve. And so when it comes to knowing how we are to be uh, as courageous men living in this world, we need to be looking at Christ. Yeah, I love this topic of manliness. And when we talk about manliness and, and courage, it's really the courage not to bow down to the culture. Um, that's what we're talking about here. And it's going to take real manhood to not be emotionally manipulated by the culture to feel ashamed for what is good, right, and true. And just as you mentioned that example of a man pretending to be a woman and setting swimming records, the only way he can lose is to another man pretending to be a woman, right? <laughs> and the rest of the culture is being shamed into calling it out. Um, and the ones who are called out are the ones who are blackballed or canceled or whatever. But this is where true manhood is tested. So yeah, the, the true test of manhood is not necessarily your muscles, though, I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. But the true test of manhood in terms of following Jesus Christ is, are you willing to stand upon the truth, no matter how much pressure the culture puts on you to do otherwise? That's going to be where manhood is tested. So we need to be, we need to know the truth. We need to be convicted by the truth. We need to love the truth. And then we need to defend the truth at at all costs, no matter how much uh, peer pressure, no matter how much shaming there is. And really, the, the whole theme of the conference, Unashamed, it, it's unashamed of the truth, right? Um, and we are constantly being tempted to be shamed of what is true, most importantly, the truth of the gospel. Amen, brother. It's the Truth Be Known podcast that these men host. Nathaniel, you want to give a final plug for that and tell people where they can find it? Yeah, so as you said, it's the Truth Be Known podcast. You can find us on the uh, Christian podcast community. Uh, it's christianpodcast.com.org.something. <laughs> so, <laughs> try one of those, you'll get it. One of those. One of those, you get it. And it, it you know, it's a theologically the driven, yeah, yeah uh, theologically driven podcast. We cover several different topics. So thanks for having us on. Thank you, guys. Uh, Nathaniel, would you close us with a word of prayer? Yeah, absolutely, brother. Well, Father, as we have been challenged to stand and, and be bold for the faith, both men and women in our respective ways, uh, Father, we just pray that you would, by your Holy Spirit, help us to be men and women who are not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ because it alone has the power of salvation. Father, help us to um, stand firmly for your truth in a culture that hates truth, in a culture that hates biblical men in a culture that hates biblical women. Father, let us continually point people to the truth of Christ, the true gospel, as we even um, are faced with having to call out the false gospels. Father, may you be glorified in us and through us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, my wife is going to take us out. Becky, not Ecky, <laughs> is going to close out this program for us. She's with us in spirit, though not in presence. And we love your podcast. Thank you so much for the ministry that you're Thank doing. You. Thank you. Becky, take us out. This is When We Understand the Text with Pastor Gabe Hughes. There are lots of great Bible teaching programs on the web, and we thank you for selecting ours. 
but this is no replacement for regular fellowship with a church family. Find a good, gospel-teaching, Christ-centered church to worship with this weekend, and join us again Monday for more Bible study when we understand the text.